Hello everybody, I have a wonderful guest on with us today and that is Lisa Gimenez-Cod and she's going to be talking to us about the menopause and perimenopause and basically taking you from A to Z, when it starts, how to navigate through it and when it finishes and kind of how to support your health, your weight and um, onwards from that. So Lisa, if you wouldn't mind, would you just introduce yourself, tell us who you are, what you do, and what brought you into this kind of specialist niche area? Sure, and thank you for having me. Um, so my business is, is Optimum Health. I became a PT just over 10 years ago now. And um, at the time, I sort of really looked into and became more involved in pre and postnatal work initially, found how sort of poorly looked after that was for coaches in terms of it was just very, very surface. But in working with women through their postnatal period in particular, I started working with slightly older ladies. And here I'm only talking kind of mid 30s into 40s, so not old by any means but there was like a, a recurring theme that was coming up things like uh, muscle aches severe fatigue losing their will to be active when they've been very um, sort of pro-exercise before and and then I started working with um, one lady who was actually post-menopause at the time but she'd gone through the run-up to that and it had such a marked effect on her life. She'd given up her business. She described it as like a tsunami hitting her. And I sort of sort of think there's, there's something more here. Because at the time, you know, we're sort of talking about eight years ago now, nobody really talked about menopause. And there was this presumption that it happened to you much later in life. And then as I sort of went through my early 40s, I started to experience different effects of menopause myself. So that kind of really heightened my interest. Um, and so really over the last seven years in particular, I've worked at, um, obviously I've worked with ladies going through this part of their life, but rather than saying, right, I want you to do this much exercise or, or um, I want you to eat in a certain way, what I seek to do is to help women understand what's happening in their bodies and brains at this time of life. And um, all too often, I think we dust these things under the carpet. Oh, it's just because I'm stressed. Oh, it's just a sign I'm getting older. These sorts of things when actually it's your body coping with a big change. It's puberty in reverse, essentially. But um, we we're going through that change whilst holding down a job, running our house, perhaps looking after a family. Uh, whereas in puberty, you've got your family looking after you. So there's there's quite a lot put on a woman and she can put a lot on herself if she doesn't understand what her body's trying to do and so it just became more and more passionate around that and in particular on the effects that this stage of life has on our pelvic floor which is one of my real passions as well so yeah I could shut me up because I could wrap it on forever in a day <laughs> no it's amazing and I absolutely love that no one's ever explained to me in that way that obviously you're kind of going through your teenagers reverse but everybody's looking you know as you're a teenager everybody's looking after you and, and and that doesn't happen so that's really that's a great kind of analogy to to use really um I do love that so thank you for sharing that with us you're welcome um okay so let's let's break things down into the bread and butter because what I want to get out of this po uh, podcast is 
to give people a clear um, idea of when the menopause might start, perimenopause might start, what to kind of look out for and what to do next in that period. And also sort of going through the menopause and help like looking after your health and your waistline as obviously we both know that is talked about quite a lot and a lot of women struggle with their waistline especially going through the change so when can somebody actually at what age can they expect to go through the menopause or perimenopause beforehand yeah okay and and there's it just didn't you know they were really sort of simple straightforward questions that you asked there a lot to break again <laughs> there's the, yeah there's a lot there but again you know a lot of women simply don't know this. And I think what's encouraging is through the work of one lady in particular, a lady called Diane Danzebrink, who actually went through a surgical menopause. I'll talk more about that in a minute. And was, you know, sort of really hit hard by this transition. She's worked tirelessly to make changes. And now menopause is on the PSHE curriculum in schools. Amazing. So that, you know, there's some way to go for that to be covered fully and equally across the nation. But I do think it's important that girls and boys understand this from a young age. In terms of when it starts, there is no set time in life. If we look at the, the average, so the average age of menopause here in the UK is 51. Um, so that's the point where a woman has had no periods for 12 consecutive months. And that can't be explained by any other reason. Now, there are a couple of times where that 12 months isn't strict. I'll talk about those in a second. But if we sort of take that definition, essentially menopause itself only lasts for one day, that point where you've reached no periods for a certain length of time. It's that period before that, which can be up to 10 years for some women, not every woman, um, but where things are, are changing within your body, hormones don't taper out nice and gracefully. They can peak and trough, they can come, they can go and kind of really kind of bimble their way out. Uh, so how long it lasts for any particular woman will, will vary. So in terms of knowing, is this it? Is this it for me? Um, it might not necessarily be changes in your periods that flag something is starting to change. Equally, don't expect your periods just to suddenly skip a few or get lighter. Some women encounter their periods becoming more frequent or becoming much heavier. They may also encounter more clotting or, or what, what's referred to as flooding. Um, and that can be very distressing because it, it literally is what it says on the on the tin. It can be an unexpected period that arrives like a flash flood. And so, you know, even with super heavy support in there, it might still overflow as a as you know. So it comes through your clothing and it affects what you're doing. So, again, it's important to, to recognize that heavier periods, more frequent periods, any change in your periods at all are a sign that something is happening in your body. So for knowing something is changing, I think that the key thing I encourage ladies to do is know they're normal. And it's not this one thing is normal, it's 
what has been normal for you over the last 10, 20 years? What have you come to recognize, you know, and, and quite often women are caught out each menstrual cycle by hitting bad moods or becoming very emotional, um, wanting to eat all the chocolate. And then it's like, oh, it's because my period was coming. So some women don't even have that awareness month to month of their cycle. And if we don't have that, then we don't necessarily have the information there to spot when something has changed for us so a loose form of tracking you know not sort of nth degree but just knowing what's normal for you can be a good way to start to spot changes now I mentioned that periods aren't always the way that you start to feel things so you know I always talk my ladies through the 34 recognize signs of menopause and that's you know just literally give them a list of things and that includes things like fatigue, like mood swings, like joint pain, muscle tension, teeth issues, pelvic floor issues. So things that you might not necessarily associate with menopause. It's important to say that those recognized effects of menopause could be signs of other things. So this is why it's important to talk to somebody who could actually take a proper history from you and understand, you know, is this part of a journey? Is this something else going on? And some women would say, well, can I get a blood test to find out if I'm menopausal? And if you're over the age of 45, you'll probably be told there is no point having a blood test. And that's because the hormones can be fluctuating so much and so frequently that it doesn't give you an accurate picture. It's kind of potluck whether you take the test at the right time to give you the right results. If it's before the age of 45, then there may be place for having those blood tests, particularly if it's before the age of 40. So again, in terms of that timing, there is an early menopause where you have that cessation of periods before the age of 45. So then um, technically people would say you need to have two years with no periods for it to be classed as menopause. If this happens before the age of 40, it's called premature ovarian insufficiency. And there you do need medical support to support your body through to at least the natural age of, of menopause around the age of 51. And, you know, if, if it is HRT that we're talking there, it doesn't have to stop at age 51. And again, it's important to know that that can be very early. There are some teenagers who have premature ovarian insufficiency. So, you know, they, they go through menopause not long at all after they've actually gone through puberty. There is a fantastic support service called the DAISY Network, which specifically supports women who are going through that very early menopause. So in terms of we've just talked about coming through that transition as a, as a result of, of kind of aging um, and working through our body's natural systems, some women will have a medically induced menopause. I mean, this particularly happens with cancer treatments where you're given medication to suppress the ovaries, to protect them whilst you're being treated for whatever else is going on. But there's also surgical menopause, and that's really a hysterectomy. There are lots of different types of hysterectomy. I won't go into all of them, but if you have a hysterectomy with both ovaries removed, which is often referred to as an oophorectomy, you wake up in instant menopause. 
Now, NICE guidelines state that anybody going for an oophorectomy should be talked to about HRT and get those ducks in a row before that surgery so that you've not then got this no man's land period after where you may be feeling awful and think, is this just a natural result? Um, and unfortunately, that doesn't always happen, getting that sorted out beforehand. So I always say to, to anyone I work with, men or women, if you know somebody who's going for a hysterectomy, just say, oh, if you're having your ovaries removed, make sure you have this conversation about, about HRT. And that's to support you through the recovery from that surgery, but also it's straight into that menopausal period afterwards. So in a nutshell, there is no set age to go through this. The length of time that a woman might be in perimenopause can vary hugely. Some women breeze through it without sort of noticing anything at all. Around one in four women will probably have severe symptoms. So it, it affects their way of life rather than just affecting, I say just, but affecting their behavior within each day. But once we've got to menopause, and so, you know, periods have gone forever. So a few people will wave flags and cheer and be happy about that. You are then classed as post-menopause and you remain post-menopausal for the rest of your life. So the sort of lifespan of a woman on average here in the UK is just below 83 years. So from 51 to 83, you're menopausal. That's around a third of your life. Mm. You add on that period perimenopausal, then that's up to a half of your life potentially. So again, why aren't we talking about this? And what can we do to put in place to support our bodies and brains through this transition to keep us active, both physically, but mentally um, forming part of the economy, looking after our families and everything else? So I, th I think I hit all the, the different parts yes. of your question there. Yes, I was just sat, sat here fascinated, like nodding away, like, yes, yes, amazing. And actually, um, one of my close, very dear friends has gone through early menopause under the age of 40. And I wasn't, I kind of knew it happened, but I wasn't aware of how actually common it is and she is um she has private medical care so she you know she's having patches and that kind of thing and she was saying to me that she's part of a couple of Facebook support groups and she said the girls in it are as young as 19 20 yeah. you know and it just really took me aback and it's like crikey um so yeah yeah no honestly everything you just said was absolutely fascinating and I want to rewind it and listen to it again already <laughs> And, and just, you know, saying about your friend there as well, you know, any woman coming towards menopause, you know, I, I sort of said some women may wave flags that they're not going to have periods anymore, but some women may actually grieve the end of their fertility. And particularly those who are going through this, this transition below the age of, of 40, wherever it is, you know, some of those women won't have had the chance to even think about whether they want to have a family before yeah. this, has, this has happened. So we tend to think of menopause as being related to our reproductive system, but it goes far beyond that. I've mentioned a few times it affects our bodies, it affects our brains as well, um, but the, there can be a, a quite a big toll on our, our mental and emotional health as part of this journey as well. And I think it's really important that men and women understand that 
um, so that they can get support when they need it. Um, but also just so they can have people around them reassuring them that this is a tunnel, not a cave. It's not a dead end. It's not the kind of end of your vibrancy. Um, and in fact, in the Far East, they often refer to this stage of life as your second spring. Hmm. And I think that's got a really lovely ring to it. And, you know, I've talked to many women who are like, oh, well, I used to be quite meek, but now I just say what I what I like and I've kind of grown into my skin and and found my voice. And that, I think, is a powerful message to pass on to anyone who is wondering if they're going through it or is is a little bit worried about going through it as they sort of see things in the media. Yeah. And I'm thinking of about four clients that I know who have <laughs> who've gone into that that phase of just saying saying it how it is don't care and they would be classified as you know they've been through the menopause the change and they are you know yeah funny that I didn't but isn't that fantastic yeah 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 yeah. it it definitely um it explains things but they're amazing and I love I love that type of character anyway that I'm half Greek so we always say it how it is um okay fantastic and the one thing I wanted to pick up on actually you mentioned in that um when you just talked is I've had a couple of clients recently actually go on to HRT and I know we were Mm -hmm. going to talk about that in a second but one of the things that um one of my most uh my clients who's uh, she's been with me for years and years and for a while she was very unsure of whether she actually needed HRT and it's taking her about three years of noticing huge not huge changes, subtle changes, you know, at first she noticed hot flushes, not sleeping well, that kind of thing. And then it gradually impacted her recovery. And that is one of the greatest things we noticed with, you know, I, I program her training is she just wasn't recovering, at, you know, well enough. And every time she was doing her workouts, you know, I don't program stupid workouts, you know, they're all very, um, I, I make sure the volume is, you know, low and that sort of thing for the, the right clients. And she was just like, I just can't seem to get past two workouts a week, whereas before she was doing three or four, no problem. And since she's actually two weeks ago now, she started taking HRT. She said to me, the day she took it of that night, she slept the whole way through. And that's the first time she slept the whole way through in three years. And she was just able to do three workouts, no problem. And she was like, oh, my God, I can't believe that I've been, you know, not denying myself and I've just, I thought, you know, oh, it's just me or, oh, I've got to push through this and I'll I'll be okay. And actually this, you know, taking HRT now has just given me so much vibrancy. So yeah, interesting. Should we, should we delve into a bit of HRT? I think so. Cause I think, I think there are a few really important parts to that. And it's important to say, you know, whilst I will always direct my clients towards HRT to consider as an option, I will never say, you know, it's not my place to say you should go on HRT or look at this particular type of HRT. That needs to be done with an appropriately qualified medical person. But with HRT sort of as a as a concept, unfortunately, it was badly tarnished by the Women's Health Initiative study way back in time now, um, which was released to the media before it had been peer reviewed. And so it hadn't sort of had its checks and balances on before it was kind of set loose on the world. And it 
inferred that HRT increased the risk of breast cancer. And as a result, many, many women were taken off HRT. Many doctors stopped prescribing HRT and some doctors still today will refuse to prescribe HRT. What we do know about that particular study, so for anybody who says, yeah, but they must have done that for a reason. And whilst that study did on some levels indicate that the risk of breast cancer would be higher, when you look at the people included or the women included in that study, their age was relevant. So they were over 10 years since they'd gone through menopause. And we know actually that the best window for starting your HRT is within that 10 years of stopping, uh, stopping your, your periods hitting the menopause or before. So you can take HRT before your periods become irregular. Um, the other things were just under 70% of the women in that study were overweight or obese. And that's a big risk factor for breast cancer. Um, some of them were smokers. Again, big. so there were all these underlying risk factors for breast cancer that we now know are much more significant than HRT itself. So not only was it given to the wrong age group of women, that group wasn't controlled for other factors. And, you know, there are still reasons why women might not want to take HRT and that's their personal choice. But I always want them to have the full breadth of information on the pros and the cons, but also modern day HRT, which is quite different. It's fundamentally different in terms of how it's made from where it was 15, 20 years ago. And also, you know, your friend there has had a, a, a great response to HRT. So started taking it, things are feeling positive. And, and, you know, she'll probably notice improvements in things that she didn't realize she was struggling with as well. Yeah. That doesn't always happen. Certainly not immediately. It doesn't mean that HRT isn't working. Sometimes it can take a time to find the right balance for you. So again, it's, it's not a one-stop shop. You know, it can be in the form of tablets, patches, sprays, gels. Uh, women with a womb will need to take progesterone. And again, there are different forms and way of, ways of administering that to support the whole thing. And there will be some women that will need some testosterone, which actually we think of as a, a male hormone. And at the moment, getting that through the NHS is a bit of a bit hit and miss, depending on where you are in the country. So it may be that some women have to go private for that additional support. But I think it's important for women to recognize that what it can help you with are those physical symptoms. Um, but also the things that you won't necessarily think are part of this transition. If a woman is getting frequent urinary tract infections from a pelvic floor uh, position, I'm always saying, okay, well, what's going on here? Is it a pelvic floor issue? If this woman is going through the menopause transition, is that having an effect on the elasticity of tissues in the pelvic floor or the tissues on the external genitalia? In which case, a topical estrogen cream can make all the difference. So some women in that genital area may encounter um, soreness, itching, irritation, tearing, um, just reduction in size. All of these are signs that 
may benefit from some topical estrogen. Again, that needs to be done with the, the proper sort of medical practitioner. But, you know, some ladies would describe it as, oh, do you know, it feels like I've got a cheese grater in my knickers and I can't even think about having sex, let alone doing it because it, it's just too horrible to think about. But you wouldn't necessarily think of that being part of menopause. And, and similarly with, with thoughts, um, women might find that uh, they're forgetting things, you know, mm. keep forgetting where I put my glasses or I forget an appointment or I go to say something, but I can't find the right words. And again, this could be a sign of perimenopause. And again, yes, HRT may help with that. Um, and it may help instantly. It may take a little while to, to find the right balance. But also, even when HRT is giving you relief on symptoms, it's not a magic wand. So it's not your ticket to go past menopause without looking after your health. Mm. So we know that menopause in reducing estrogen in particular directly affects our heart health and our bone health in, in particular, other things as well, but those in particular that can really affect our length and quality of life. So if HRT is actually making you feel good, then use that feeling good, that return of energy to find forms of exercise that you enjoy that are going to support, support your bone health, your heart health, your mental health as well, and keep your brain active. You know, do things that are going to challenge you mentally, um, but use some of that to learn more about what your body is going through and how it's changing. Now, over time, the brain does adjust to the lower levels of estrogen. Um, so we're not necessarily talking about a reduction in cognitive performance, but certainly in the short term, a lot of women find or worry that they are not performing well at work. And a number of women will consider leaving their jobs or leave their business or whatever it is as a result. And so there it's important to think, OK, what's going on? What can I do naturally to help myself? What other options are available? And I think as, as much as the Women's Health Initiative has impacted people's decisions. So if you are, if you do want to talk about it with your doctor, when you're making an appointment, say, is there somebody with a special interest in, in menopause in the clinic? Um, and never be afraid when you're in that meeting with a doctor to say, OK, but I want to know more about this. Where could you refer me to? So there are a number of menopause clinics dotted around the country within the NHS. Again, it's a bit of a postcode lottery where you are as to whether you have access to them. But that appointment with your doctor is a two way meeting. So if you can go in and say, OK, this is how my cycle's looking. This is how I used to feel. This is how I'm feeling now. This is what I'm noticing. I would like to talk about this and know what outcome you are looking for, then, you know, you are allowed to have an agenda in that meeting and you're allowed to say, okay, I need more answers. I need more information. Where can you refer me to, to get that support that you, you really need? And, and finally, there will be some women, and I include myself in this bracket that say, this is a natural phenomenon. I should be able to get myself through it. You know, I, I do my exercise. I eat really healthily. I'm managing my stress as best. I should not need anything else. Um, I did that. And I, I actually really struggled for a number of years before trying HRT. And now I look back and think, what a wally. You know, that was 
you know, put your pride on the shelf. You don't necessarily have to take it, but at least know what your options are um, so that you make an informed choice rather than a kind of, in my case, a stubborn position or a guess, a best guess. Um, the information is there. There are people like the Menopause Charity. Um, there is Make More Menopause Matter campaign. There is Wellbeing for Women Charity. So there are different organizations that have this information that you can seek freely and find out more about to then be able to figure out what your, your personal questions are. Mm. Yeah. And um, again, thank you so much for that. I was just sat there nodding. Apologies. I think somebody was outside honking their horn, which if you could hear that. <laughs> I couldn't hear that. it. No. Good. Um, okay. That was all uh, fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. And I think really helpful for anybody in that position where they're considering either going on HRT or haven't even thought about it and just thought, what the hell do I do next? And, you know, going and having that conversation with the doctor is so key, but knowing that you can go in there and hold your own. And like you said, like have that two-way conversation is so, so important. So thank you for that. Um, Let's kind of backtrack a little bit, if that's okay, and just talk about you know, for somebody like myself, I'm 32. And obviously, I work in this industry. So I'm very aware of the changes and that sort of things and what things I could be doing. But do you think there is anything as a, you know, a 30 year old, or even some people listening to this might be younger, is there anything that we can be doing right now to help to relieve or improve symptoms when we are going through the change, the perimenopause at all? Yeah, I, I actually think there are lots of things. To, and the first is learn, learn and understand, because by doing that, it's 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 not this kind of dark hole that comes as you get older. It's something that, you know, your body is going to approach at some point, but you can approach it with knowledge, with a support network in place. So you're not on the back foot. Um, in terms of exercise, then um, the best time to start if you're not doing exercise is now, wherever, wherever you are. We know that bone density peaks around the age of 30. So if we can be doing um, weight bearing exercise from whatever age possible, and enjoy I think it's key to find something that you enjoy or or even like I've got one lady um who's who's in her late 70s now and she comes to my my actually my Pilates sessions she doesn't love Pilates at all but doing it allows her to do her ballroom dancing three times a week and so you know it's finding what hooks you Mm. you know whatever brings you joy and you know if that's any kind of movement, as long as you've got the right music in your ears, then get that playlist sorted. So keep the body moving. A good approach to nutrition. There is no one fixed diet. People often say to me, what foods can I eat to help me with perimenopause? So minimizing alcohol, I would say for most women is a good guide because a lot of women find that the alcohol really exacerbates any effects of menopause that they're experiencing plus the long-term effect we know that has on our overall health 
getting plenty of fruit and vegetables in your daily nutrition. So people don't often think about our bones as being living, living organisms, um, but they are, and they need the vitamins and minerals uh, just the same as the other tissues in our bodies. So again, supporting that bone health with good nutrition, um, sources of omega-3, so, you know, if you are fish eater, then eating fish two to three times a week. Um, and if you're a vegetarian or vegan, using other sources of omega-3. But again, looking for a mix across your diet and supplements are available um, if you're not able to incorporate those in your, your sort of regular nutrition. But the other big thing that I think is really important is stress management. And, you know, that's sort of direct knock on to our mental health. If we're sort of going through life struggling to cope with what's being thrown at us, what we're having to deal with. And obviously, as we were recording this, we're coming out of a two year pandemic that's had a, a big impact on on everybody. Um, but that sort of adds to what we call our allostatic load. And this is sort of a, a bit of a, a burden on the brain and the body that we could think of it as almost taking our reserve levels down a little bit. So if we, and it, you know, I'm not saying find a way to live stress-free because we don't, we don't even want to do that. A little bit of stress is good for us, but we want to be able to have those tools that help us to cope with whatever we personally find stressful. And for some that is exercise. Mm. Um, for some that is counseling or other talk therapies and actually cognitive behavioral therapy or, or CBT is showing positive results for perimenopausal women dealing with things like hot flashes as well. So any form of, of kind of, well, anything that helps you to manage your stress, whether that's movement-based or otherwise, um, is a good thing for life generally but will give you tools to build up for going through this transition in particular as well. Mm. And do you find, because obviously you obviously work with a lot of these clients, do you find that clients that come to you who have never exercised before come to you with more extreme symptoms or does it just depend? It just, it just depends. And, and I have to say as well, one of the, the big things that I see is differences in attitude mm -hmm. so you know there are those women that come saying I know my body isn't as it used to be but I want to do all I can to support it so they're you know they're taking a very pragmatic view and they're approaching it proactively and positively and their resilience going through this and, and probably anything else in their lives is much higher than those women that come and Oh, I'm, I'm feeling this, you know, and I'm not sort of knocking that down because sometimes if you've been experiencing something for a long period of time, it kind of knocks the energy and the drive out of you. Um, but equally, they, they've kind of sensed what's not helping them, but don't yet have it in them to stop doing that thing or start mm. doing something else. Um, now, that's, that's not a, oh, well, sort yourself out and get on with it because there are a host of reasons why anybody could be in that situation, you know, and let's not forget that anxiety and depression um, are two of the effects of menopause. And so for somebody that experienced those 
before starting perimenopause, they may get worse. So your normal tactics maybe don't work in terms of helping it. You might need to change things up a little bit. Or there'll be women who've never experienced either of those before that are suddenly like, whoa, what is this? Um, what is wrong with me? Mm. And there is nothing wrong. It's your body's having to adapt to a new hormonal landscape. And it needs help and support to do that. Mm. And it's okay to ask for that help and support. You know, you're not weak. You're not pathetic. Um, all these kind of negative words that that women kind of brandish themselves with it's not you're amazing and your body's doing this incredible thing and if it would like some help to do that even if that's talking to your other half and getting them to um, kind of up the amount they do in the house it's all right to ask for that you haven't failed at all it's about that teamwork approach really Mm. And I was just actually thinking then when you were saying about, um, you know, people coming to you and kind of think not thinking they're pathetic and that kind of thing. And I was just thinking it sounds like to me victim mentality, but I coach a lot of clients that come to me with almost victim mentality. But what they need is reassurance. They need supporting. And I think what what can happen is when people do have you know play the victim and we've all been there you know yeah what can happen is the approach of you've got to try harder you know and, and it's really not about that it's really you know honoring where you are and understanding what's going on and actually working with somebody or you know getting the right support and care so that you feel able to take the next steps so, absolutely yeah and, and that just uh, I just um I spoke to a new client recently and I could just kind of hear her coming up there and you know she's very very concerned about I'm going to be stuck here for life and she just needed me to say I believe in you let's do this and I think yeah. that's sometimes what we all need to hear you know um, yeah definitely and, and I go on no 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 you go on you carry on I was thinking about because we're just kind of backtracking to what I initially asked the question is you know essentially I was asking you does exercise future proof you and essentially it doesn't but what it does do is give you the tools to kind of use when you're going through you know perimenopause and gives you another sort of support network and tool belt essentially and that's very similar I was having a conversation with a midwife actually she's a friend of mine the other day and I said to her do you generally see because I'm moving into pre and postnatal sort of area now um which we can chat about another day um and I was saying to her do you generally see women turn to exercise as you know they find out they're pregnant or do you see women you know exercising before pregnancy and she said I'm afraid most you know, a majority of women find out they're pregnant and go, I need to exercise. Yeah. And I think one of the things that I don't know, if you're listening to this and you are younger, like, do you think about the fact that when you are going through that stage of life, whether it's pregnancy or, you know, perimenopause, you want to have as many tools in your toolkit as possible. So if you can now start to build a habit with exercise and eating healthy, that is going to help you in the future, rather than, it's a bit like going on holiday, rather than have six weeks to diet down for a holiday, you know, if you've got years and years on top of that, of doing those habits, it's going to be so much easier for you to transition to, you know, a six week diet for a holiday or going into pregnancy or going into perimenopause. So try not to think about 
you becoming future-proofed. It's about you've got an even better toolbox of all these things. And one of the things that I really try and not drill down, but encourage clients to do is instead of focusing on like a perfect week of exercise, if you can just do 10 minutes, that 10 minutes every single week is going to clock up to hours and hours of you supporting your body. So really reframing, you know, oh, I can't get an hour in today. I can't be bothered. Can you just do 10 minutes or something, you know? Yeah. going off on a tangent there sorry absolutely and no I'm just going to make myself a note because there are a couple of really good important things you said there that I think it's it's worth um talking about and and one is almost that analogy so you were saying there that the midwife said more women than not start to exercise because they found out they're pregnant and you know I'm supposing but you could kind of see that a woman thinks right I have got this life that I'm nurturing and I want to be fit and healthy to support this baby in the future so it's something positive to look forward to that they then want to exercise for by contrast going into perimenopause with our culture's perception of women as they age it's almost like well what's the point yeah for a lot of women I'm just you know I'm going to be old and and chubby or whatever their narrative is but actually, that's where I think language is so, so important. You know, if you l- look at those around you, I, you know, I work with ladies well into their 70s that are so vibrant. They're so active. You know, they're retired now, but they're going out on adventures and enjoying it. You know, and the scale of those adventures changes from one woman to another. But you don't have to stop living your life. And actually, you know, that second spring, it opens the doors for a whole new sort of set of of adventures. So you can tailor your movement, whichever way that is, to kind of set you up for that next stage of your life. And in terms of the, the type of exercise, traditionally, particularly for bone strength, people thought you've got to do impact, therefore I have to go running. I hate running. I'm not going to do that. We know strength training has immense benefits for bone health and for our heart health as well. But again, still a lot of women think I don't want to get bulky by lifting weights. Mm. So even though we're hammering this message that, you know, you won't get bulky lifting weights, um, that that sometimes takes a while for women to adjust to. But resistance training could include dumbbells or kettlebells or barbells or resistance bands, which are very versatile, tidy away into your drawer. You can use them at home. But also what we know from various studies is exercises like Tai Chi, Qigong, even Pilates and yoga have all been shown to have benefits for bone health and for other aspects of perimenopause as well. That sort of working with the breath, really helping to calm the nervous system, so that stress management piece. Um, So have a mix of approaches to movement. You know, even if that's just dancing in your kitchen to whatever Mm -hmm. makes you wanna get on your feet, that's where you are, start there and then find things that give you that similar level of enjoyment. And don't be afraid to just have a go at different things. You know, certainly for the types of movement that I coach, it's like, come and have a go. I can't guarantee you'll like it, but at least if you come and you don't like it, there's something, 
you know, okay, I know I don't like that. So now I'm going to try this. And it's, it's an open book. So try not to pin yourself in too much. Absolutely. Um, one question I was going to ask you, because this has cropped up quite a lot, actually, is, and it was funny because I was sat in a, a gym cafe once and um, one lady came along and she uh, she bought a latte and she bought a soya latte and she was like, oh, you know, I'm going through the change, so I need to make sure I'm increasing my phytoestrogens. And that's one topic that I wanted to cover because I get asked this, you know, oh, Angie, you know, been told by my, by my doctor, I am going through perimenopause now. What can I do to support my diet? And you kind of mentioned it earlier, but can you just kind of clarify to us what things do support going through perimenopause and actually if you are on HRT the kind of precautions of having phytoestrogens because I know there is you know if you take too much estrogen then that can have detrimental effects and that sort of thing yeah and I don't think there's anything that I've seen definitive as to yes phytoestrogens from these sources are your best bet or this amount of them I tend to favor a more I'd say holistic approach to your nutrition let's not put all our eggs in in one basket but also I encourage people to be curious you know try new things in your diet you'll find some things maybe make you feel uncomfortable and bloated or affect how regularly you can pass a bowel motion find the things that you enjoy that your body enjoys as well and so certainly when I'm getting um, ladies to track and it's not it's not tracking what they're eating and drinking necessarily from a calorie point of view but from a how do I feel and just kind of noticing the effects that are troubling them and looking to see if there's any correlation with things that they're eating and drinking. So there are uh, four common triggers in our everyday life that can exacerbate certain effects of perimenopause. I never give my ladies what those four things are because you know what we do, right? I won't have those and everything will go away. And so you've either got the situation where those effects go away, you think, brilliant, but actually you, didn't, you don't know whether it's one of the four, a combination or, or all of them, or you take them all out and you think, well, actually, I still feel like poo. <laughs> Nothing's happened. So, so by that kind of noticing what makes you feel good, noticing what doesn't make you feel good, it then gives you a choice. Do I want more of that? Do I want to make less of that in my daily nutrition? And, you know, Often, unfortunately, it's Sod's law that the thing you like the best can be the thing that's triggering symptoms for you. And again, it doesn't mean necessarily that you've got to cut it out completely. It might be that's where you start for a time and you maybe try reintroducing it and see, you know, can I have a little bit of that in my daily nutrition and be okay, Or is it a definite no? So I try and promote curiosity to find what's working for you rather than this is where you go. But what I would say is your omega-3s, um, vitamin D supplementation. Mm. So again, because in the Northern Hemisphere, we're, we're not getting enough um, over our skin or, you know, again, in perimenopause particularly, there can be changes to our skin, which mean our skin doesn't feel comfortable in sunshine anymore. So that vitamin D supplementation, 
plenty of vegetables and fruit um, and then mixed source of proteins. So I try not to be too prescriptive when it comes to nutrition because I just don't find that it promotes a healthy approach. No, and I completely agree. Like, you know, people will ask, what's the perfect, you know, what's the perfect recipe? And ultimately it's different for everybody. You know, everybody wants the quick fix. But if you eat an all round healthy diet all throughout your life, that's going to support your health. There's no quick fix. There's no answer for, you know, what's the best food to eat, you know, for fat loss? What's the best food to eat for this? It's all round health. And I think we need to, you know, anyone listening to this, like, drill it home to yourself there is no quick fix to any to any of this eat healthy you know and have your 20 percent of the things that you enjoy the rest of the time make sure that you're eating things that support your health can you yeah. just because you did bring it up um a second ago can you just highlight how important protein is throughout this period yeah so um as we age so just chronological aging our the amount of our lean tissue our muscle decreases and that is impacted on by the changing hormones in menopause as well. So that has a little effect on our metabolism. So how much energy we use, it has a big effect on our bone health and potentially on other aspects of our health as well. So making sure that we're doing the movements that are going to support that muscle tissue, but also giving it the fuel to support that muscle tissue is really important. Um, so that comes from your proteins. So, so lean protein sources, um, that could be your, your meats, your, your chickens, your fish. Um, and again, while you can supplement for your omega-3s, if you eat fish and can eat fish consistently two to three times a week, go for that. Um, if you're vegan or vegetarian, obviously you've got to find it from other sources. But again, those vegans and vegetarians have got to work harder to make sure they're getting that mix of proteins. And it doesn't have to be complete proteins in every meal within the day. You know, we now know that you can kind of look at it from a broader overview mm. than that. But but just, you know, making sure that you are getting that cross section of foods and particularly for vegans supplementing with vitamin B12 and probably that all the B vitamins. Um, and that's probably a good shout for many vegetarians as well, just because you're not getting that from um, non-meat sources. Mm. Um, now, the other thing actually, in terms of nutrition that I will mention, so I mentioned that for some women, their periods become more frequent, they can become heavier. Um, if, our, if we are losing more blood through our periods, then that can have an effect on our iron levels. So sometimes fatigue, lethargy, um, dizziness, other symptoms like that can be a sign of anemia or, you know, other factors relating to our iron. Um, obviously, there are supplements to, to help you with iron, but obviously you can support that through nutrition. So things like your organ meats, again, dark green leafy vegetables um, to make sure that you're kind of boosting that up and getting it, it supported as, as best you can as well. Uh, but otherwise I'd say as you did, you know, look at, look at what you know is good to include, but include some of what you enjoy as well. Mm, absolutely. Thank you for that. Um, okay, let's round it up then because we've been through loads and I can't wait to listen to this again and make notes on it. But can you just give the listeners 
some final tips, your least special final tips for anyone who is perimenopause or menopause or, or, you know, listening to this, just curious because, you know, they might, they might, they might be my age and thinking, oh, what's going to happen in the next, you know, 10, maybe 20 years. Do you have any final tips that you would like love to share with the listeners? Yeah. And I, th- I think you use the word curious there. And that's the one I use a lot is be curious, be curious about what your normal is so that you can spot any changes from that at all. Be curious about what this stage of life includes. You know, do a little bit of homework. And I'm not saying, you know, go down the rabbit hole of all different searches, but just look at some sources like the Make Menopause Matter campaign, like the Menopause Charity, to understand what happens in this life stage. Um, Talk to other people about it. So sometimes with perimenopausal symptoms, I call it naming the shame, because if we take hot flashes, which is what everybody traditionally thinks of, the typical thing is, oh, God, I can feel one coming. I'm getting hot. I've got to. How can I cover it up? So-and-so is going to see. Whereas actually, if we can find that little bit of courage and just kind of say, oh, seem to be getting quite hot. Here it goes again. And kind of talk about what our body's going through. We start to normalize it. Those around us can understand that actually we're dealing with something here and we're being open about it. Those around us become informed, but in taking the panic out of that situation, whichever it is, then actually things can actually calm down more quickly, more calmly. Um, So, and that's the sort of thing that can be supported with, with CBT. So yes, HRT is a solution. CBT is exercise overall nutrition stress management I'd say is a really really big one so don't look for just one magic solution you know recognize that it's going to be a basket of things and sometimes the emphasis might be more on one of those elements than another but just broadly sort of keep keep an eye across all of them and ask for help it is there and there are lots of people who will either answer your questions or point you in the right direction keep having those conversations and ask for help whenever you need it mm, yeah absolutely love that and it's interesting actually I had um, a dietitian not a dietitian nutritionist on um, nutritional therapist on a few weeks ago we were talking about the menstrual cycle and I asked her the same thing and one of the things she kept hammering through the whole podcast was you know don't just think about your cycle think about the stress management throughout the whole of your month, throughout the whole of your year, stress impacts, you know, everything. I, uh, one of the things that I sort of just wanted to bring up just there, because I think it's very difficult when, you know, you hear somebody say, oh, just manage your stress. It's, it's, it's hard. You go, where the hell do I even start? You know, I've got a family to provide for. I've got this, I've got that. And sometimes, and I've had a few conversations with the clients about this is sometimes weighing up the outcome, you know, are you, you know, I work for myself and you you will know this sometimes at periods in our life, we have to grind, you know, we have to put the work in. But when we're doing that, making sure you've got your boundaries, your non-negotiables in place to ensure that you can manage your level of stress is really important. Like tonight, I've got to do a late shift because I've worked slightly later this afternoon. And I know that if I 
if I work late, I don't sleep as well. So one thing I make sure I do is I put my phone in a different room. So when I finish work or when I'm working, I'm not on social media. You know, I'm not getting so much blue light. And there's all these different things that I will put in place to ensure okay, I'm going to work late. This is what I need to do to make sure I sleep well, because that's, you know, that's going to really help me. Otherwise I wake up tomorrow, like stressed as hell because I've not slept well. I've worked late and I feel rubbish. And it's just having that mindset of like, right, I've got to do this thing to achieve, you know, family wants to go on holiday and I've got to work late. How can I make sure that I look after myself when I've got all of this, you know, to do that's asking for help, putting non, you know, non-negotiables in place, having your boundaries, telling your boss, you know, actually, no, I'm not going to do emails after 8 p.m. I'm sorry, it's just not how I work. So try to think of your your stress management as how do things impact you every single day? Where can you say yes? Where can you say no? Draw the line under it and that sort of thing. And really own your power as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, you've really hit on it there because stress is personal. What I find stressful, you maybe wouldn't and vice versa. So, and, and all too often, you know, women, probably men as well would say, I shouldn't find this stressful. I should just be drop the shoulds. You know, it's just, I am feeling this, this will help me. Mm. It just treat it as a fact without that judgment, be curious, but support yourself as you would support others going through anything at all um it's it's a journey so that you know you're not kind of stuck in the place where you are now if things are feeling hard forever but that place will feel easier with that network of support around you you know and and I always say you know whether it's just a oh I need to rant or let somebody know what I'm feeling I always say people can just drop me a message you know, I might not be able to, to offer direct support or anything, but sometimes it just needs to be able to send that one message to get people moving towards finding their solution. Mm, absolutely. OK, let's round it up there. So I just wanted to say thank you so much for your time this episode will be so informative to so many people um where can my listeners find you and get in contact with you if they, if they so so wish to Brilliant. well i'm on facebook and instagram at my optimum health um so yeah come along and say hello uh, the links to websites and everything are, are on those too um so you know even if you you kind of just want to share where you are or just say hello I'm always happy to hear from and did you have some kind of I think I saw it on Instagram did you have some kind of guide or something like that I do yeah yeah so on both uh, on both uh, Instagram and Facebook I have um, and it's based around those 34 recognized effects of menopause so it's just a little bit of a, a tick list that you can look through and say that doesn't necessarily it does not diagnose perimenopause but it's like oh okay because there are a few things on there and you think oh I didn't I didn't associate that with my hormones um, and then there are a few sort of guiding emails around that as well so that's via my sort of contact information on social media but brilliant. it's been brilliant chatting to you thank you so much for having me thank you so much and I will share your social media handles in the show notes on the podcast so brilliant. thank you so thank much you. Lisa. Thank, thank you, you.